The uh, children are free and dismissed to, to go to children's church with, uh, with Lorna. Uh, while they're doing that, take your Bibles, if you would, uh, and open uh, your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 12, verses uh, 38 uh, through 42. Listen then to, to the word of God. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of Sheba, the queen of the south, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us from your word, that your Holy Spirit would use the word of God to to instruct us, to convict us, to correct us. But most of all, especially on this Resurrection Sunday, to just encourage us and stir up in our hearts just a delight in hearing the proclamation and knowing that it is true that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Pray that you would give me the words to say that it would be from your word, the Holy Scriptures. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. I confess to you a little bit. I was hoping that while Helen was reading Jonah 2, some of you were wondering, why are we reading the book of Jonah on Resurrection Sunday? Uh, What what is he going to do? What is he going to talk about this morning? Uh, Obviously, I hope you can see now, we read it kind of as a prelude to this idea of the sign of Jonah, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ being the fulfillment of that. And our point this morning is simply this, as we think about the resurrection and we proclaim to one another that he is risen, Jesus' resurrection is a line in the sand. You know how it is when you draw a line in the sand and and you challenge someone to cross it, or you say, you know, this far, no farther, you you make a, a dividing line. You are either on that side against it, or you are on this side for it. And the resurrection of Jesus draws a line in the sand. Jesus rose from the dead. He is not just a good teacher. You cannot just say, I like Jesus, but I'm not sure about this cross and resurrection thing. It lays down a demarcator. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must believe also that He has risen from the dead. If you do not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, it doesn't matter how much you like him. Sometimes people in this life will will say, I, you know, I would believe in God if I just saw a sign. If I just had more evidence, if if God would just do something miraculous in my life, a a miracle of some sorts. The resurrection is that miracle. And it sort of lays down a a line in the sand to to that sort of mentality. 
That we would not bring challenges before God and say, you need to do something to me, for me to prove yourself. The sign has been given. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the sign that God is who He says He is and will do what He promises He will do. It is a validation of everything that Jesus did and taught. If He did not rise from the dead, He was a liar or a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis characterized it, saying that you either pick Him as a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. But He did rise from the dead. He is the Son of God. He is now, even in His humanity, living again in a resurrected body. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The resurrection of Jesus is the sign. That's our first point this morning. First, Jesus' resurrection is the sign. You'll notice here that the, the people around Jesus, the generation that He's with, the people He's walking amongst, they ask Jesus for a sign. Look at verses 38 and 39. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered Him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. What is fascinating here is this statement by the Pharisees does not come in a vacuum. He has been doing, Jesus has been doing Miracles. He's been doing all sorts of things. And they still come before Him and say, Jesus, give us a sign. Let's just kind of flip through Matthew a little bit. If you go back to Matthew uh, chapter 8, just, we're just picking a few. Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 14 through 16, we see that Jesus is healing many. He goes in, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. She's lying there sick with fever. And then it says uh, that evening, verse 16, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he had cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick. This is to fulfill what is spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So not only do they, does he heal Peter's mother-in-law, word is spreading. People bring demon-possessed people. People bring everybody they know who is sick. And Jesus is healing him. And still the Pharisees say, give us a sign. Chapter 12, if you flip along, and you could see in chapter 9, he heals the paralytic. And uh, in chapter uh, 9, he also restores a, a girl to life. And there's a woman who's healed and two blind men uh, who are healed who cry out and say, have mercy on us, uh, son of David, and on and on it goes. In chapter 11, uh, John the Baptist is in jail. He's struggling a little bit with the faith. And he says, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus says to his disciples, go and tell John what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have the good news preached to him. At least five different types of signs all connecting there to the Old Testament. You could go into Isaiah and see where some of those things uh, are fulfilled from the book of Isaiah. Then in chapter 12, verses 22 to 24, 
Listen to what it says. The demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. They had all kinds of signs. And then they say to Jesus, well, you know, that's not enough. Bring us a sign. How many people have we encountered, or maybe you had been like this at one point in your life, God was showing himself to you to be real. He was doing things in your life that were undeniably his work. Or you heard his word, and and you knew it was his word, but still you wanted to reject it. And, And what do we often say in those circumstances? It's not enough. We tend to kind of just keep raising the bar on God. Well, if God would just do this, and then here in these passages, He does do this, and then they raise the bar again. Well, that's not good enough. God needs to do this for us. We need a more specific sign. And you can argue and debate with people and share with them the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus and, and the testimonies of the reliability of Scripture, and they will continually raise the bar. It's a hardness of heart. And Jesus even rebukes the generation, a wicked and adulterous generation. It's never good enough. At some point, you have to yield. You have to decide that you are going to believe. And if you are always holding out and saying, I'll just do it if. You are always bringing a a standard before God. You are always going to end up kicking the can down the road instead of accepting who God is and what He has done. The testimony to you and I is that Jesus rose again from the dead. You have the authority of Scriptures bearing witness to that. You have uh, the testimony of the first apostles. You have Jesus appearing to more than 500 individuals, Paul says. More than 500 in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, he doesn't mention them all by name, but the idea is, what more do you need? So, even in Paul's day, as Paul was preaching, and Paul from time to time uh, did some miracles, and the Lord allowed him to bless individuals in that way, Paul still says in 1 Corinthians 22, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. What does Paul give them? 1 Corinthians 1.23 But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, something they tripped up over. They didn't like hearing it, that, that this one who is claiming to be the Messiah died cursed on a cross. Foolishness to the Gentiles. Well, that's just idiotic, they might say. But what do we have to offer you? What do we have to offer you this morning uh, as a church as we gather here? We don't have fancy things. We don't have riches of man. We don't have powerful miracles, but we do have the message. Jesus Christ was crucified and he rose again from the dead. And that message is life changing because as Paul says, the gospel is the power of God. So many times people are looking for signs and powers and all these things. And if God would just do this in my life. But what is the power of God? It is the gospel that saves us because Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again from the dead. The Pharisees in this passage were 
were serving other things. They were seeing right in front of them in Matthew 12 these miracles. And instead of even asking the question, well, could this be the work of God? They automatically deny that the Holy Spirit is at work here. And they say, Jesus is doing this because of demons. Sometimes you share a conversion testimony with someone and you say to them, well, Christ has changed my life. And I want to share with you the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And it really did affect me. It's, it's real. And I can tell you that. And the person will say something along the lines of, well, that's fine. That's what worked for you. Or maybe they'll, they'll chalk it up to your own experiences. Or, oh, that's just you following your emotions. That doesn't mean that it actually happened. The message is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that is the sign. You can see in Matthew 16, Jesus says uh, again, uh, Matthew 16, 2-4, He answered them saying, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy weather, for the sky is red and threatening. And you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky and how... But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Stop putting before God your tests. Start listening to God and who He is and what He has done. That He has testified to you in the Son of God that He is real and He is saving people from their sins through Jesus dying and rising again from the dead. That is the power of God. And the resurrection is the sign to us that we can have eternal life, that we can have forgiveness of sins, that death is finally conquered. Turn with me, if you would, keep your fingers here in Matthew chapter 12. Turn with me, if you would, to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah is in the Minor Prophets, and I kind of get a kick about going into Jonah on Resurrection Sunday. How many pastors do you know talk about Jonah and the whale uh, on the Resurrection Sunday? And uh, it's just a a fun passage. I I love Jonah chapter 2, and yet we often miss what is going on. This this passage gives us insight into what resurrection looks like. We often don't pay attention to this connection that Jesus makes. Here's the story and the life and the events that happened to Jonah, and Jesus is going to do something greater. But the New Testament is the fulfillment and, and in some sense, the surpassing of all of the the things that happen in the Old Testament. Jesus brings it, if you will, to a climax. So, Matthew 12, 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man uh, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus Christ is buried and was dead for three days. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. This is after the storm and he's in the boat and he gets thrown overboard um, and the seas are calm. Jonah is sinking down and a great fish, uh, sometimes we say a whale, but a great fish came to swallow up Jonah. I I hope it wasn't a big shark. Uh, The Jonah was in the belly of the fish 
three days and three nights. And so Jesus is in the grave three days. We count this starting on Friday. He dies and is put in the grave. And so uh, typical of, of Jewish accounting of time, if it's any part of that day, you can say that's day one. So we're not, we're not playing fast and loose, but we're not supposed to take this overly literally literal and say, well, that wasn't 72 hours that he was in the grave. No, it counts starting on Friday. They put him in the tomb. From sundown on Friday night is when you start counting Saturday. So he was all 24 hours of the day on Saturday in the grave. And then he was in the grave sundown on what for us would be Saturday night is when they would have started Sunday. And you'll remember Saturday for them is the Sabbath and Sunday for them uh, in that time is the first day of the week. You'd normally go off to work. It's kind of like our Monday. You get up and, oh, I've got to go to work again. And so here in the morning, the, the women are going out to the grave. And Jesus is in Friday, day one, Saturday, day two, um, Sunday, day three. And, of course, as we read and we continue to preach and teach, Jesus rose from the dead early Sunday morning. He is in the grave three days. There's a certainty to his death that he is there. Uh, He is truly in the grave. His body is, if you would, in the heart of the earth. The very idea of being in uh, the grave on the third day rising again is a fulfillment of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15.4, that Jesus was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. And what's fascinating there, it's not just that him being raised is a fulfillment of Scripture, But him being raised on the third day is a fulfillment of Scripture. I mean, it would have been cool if Jesus came back to life after one night in the grave. But that wouldn't have worked because that's not a fulfillment of Scripture. Could Jesus have let his body in, in the grave and come back to life four, five, six days later? Did he have the power to do that? Yes, but it wouldn't have happened. Why? Because it's not a fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus knew going in, I'm here to die, I'm going to rise again on the third day, and this, he tells them, is the sign of Jonah. How long was Jonah in the belly of the whale? Three days and three nights. Now, whether that came out to exactly 72 hours, I don't know. But it's the same pattern. And Jesus is fulfilling this. But notice how the passage unfolds. Jesus' resurrection is the fulfillment of Scripture. What happened to Jonah in the fish? That's our second point. It's the fulfillment of Scripture. We often think of Jonah as having a near-death experience. I want to make the case to you this morning that at least symbolically, when Jonah is in that whale, he's dead. His heart might not have stopped. He's still able to pray here. He might not have been medically dead as we know it today. But as he is sitting there in that utter darkness, everything is closed around him. He's in the fish. The waves are up over him. Jonah doesn't say, oh my goodness, I'm about to die. Jonah says, I'm dead. There's no hope for me here. The grave has won. The seas have swallowed me. Let's Follow along with me, if you will, in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah likens being in the belly of the whale to being in Sheol. Sheol is the grave, the place where the body is laid. 
Look at verses 1 and 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah then is also describes as going down into the deep, into the seas. This is kind of uh, imagery of, of the underworld, if you will. He is under the power of death and the grave. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep, it's actually in Hebrews a slightly different word for deep there. The deep surrounded me. The weeds wrapped about my head. It's fascinating here in in Exodus chapter 15. uh, It's the song of the sea. After they come through walking through the Red Sea, they sing this this worship song. And, And what happens to the Egyptian soldiers as they cross the Red Sea. There's these walls of water, and they're really high. And what happens? And it comes crashing down. I mean, can you imagine? I don't know how high the wall of water was, uh, but you know, imagine 100 feet of water on both sides, and you're walking this semi-narrow strip. I don't know exactly how wide it was. But, uh, I mean, when that water crashes in, and, and you've got battle armor on, have you ever tried to swim with, like, heavy jeans on? And, and it's hard. Imagine trying to swim with, with armor, metal on you, bronze or whatever it might have been made of, iron. And imagine instantaneously as this water collapses on you, you are 100 feet underwater. You're dead. It's some of the same languages. The flood covered them, these soldiers. They went down into the depths like a stone. Uh, the same word for depths there that, that Jonah has used in 2.3. It's similar language to what we have in the Psalms. Psalm 88. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. And, and don't just think of like, like a hole in the ground. Like, you know, like a little thing that you dug for a trench or, or something. Think of, think of in the book of Numbers when the earth opens up and swallows the people that are rebelling against God and it closes over them and they go down into the depths of the earth. This is the imagery here. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose amongst the dead, like the slain lie in the grave, like those who remember no more, for they are cut off from your hands. You have put me in the depths of the pit, the regions dark and deep. This is Psalm 88, but you can see the the overlapping language with Jonah chapter 2. Jonah isn't saying, I'm having a near-death experience. Jonah is saying, I'm in the grave. And we might say as a matter of of metaphor, you know, I'm as good as dead. But for all intents and purposes, yes, technically Jonah might still have been alive. But with everything crashing over him, he's dead. He can't save himself out of this any more than the soldiers, the Egyptian soldiers, could swim out of the Red Sea. He says, I'm dead. And he talks about the, the seaweed uh, you know, the wrapping around his neck. 
And, and I almost wonder, and, and there's not quite the verbal parallel, but I do wonder if there is an allusion there to when the psalmist says, you know, the cords of death and strangle me. It's, it's all of this similar stuff going on. The sign of Jonah is that essentially, symbolically, metaphorically, however you want to say it, Jonah was dead for three days. I mean, imagine yourself sitting in a fish. And, and you know, I can't even imagine, but every little gurgle that the stomach makes, you know, I... You know, and, and the stomach acid and waiting for it. And, and some people have suggested that perhaps there was enough acid there that it would have eaten away on some of his skin and he would have had blisters when he came out. And I, I don't know all of that for sure. But you're dead. Like, there's no way you're getting out of this. This is not Pinocchio in the whale. And if we just light a fire and tickle the back of his throat, he'll spit us out. This is I have no hope. And he cries out to God. Jonah finally learns, at least for this chapter, two chapters later, he seems like he doesn't remember. But Jonah finally learns that salvation is only from the Lord. And he says that at the end. Notice verse 6 in Jonah 2. At the root of the mountains I went down, the land whose bars closed upon me. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. This is resurrection language. I died. I was in the grave functionally. There was no hope. And here he's praying some of this with an element of trust, but we also obviously are reading this after we know what happens when the fish spits him up. And he says, my life came back from the pit. This is language we see in the Psalms. The pit is language of death, as I've already mentioned. Ezekiel 28.8, they thrust you down into the pit and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. So Jonah is in the fish, but where is the fish? In the heart of the seas. Jonah says, I'm in the pit. I'm in the grave. I'm in Sheol. Psalm 30, verse 9, what profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, same idea, pit, death, death, pit. Jonah says, again, I'm dead. We could read Lamentations. We could read Psalm 18. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I cried upon the Lord to my God. I cried to help. For from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Look at this passage in Jonah 2. What does Jonah say? Verse 4, yet I shall look up upon your temple. Uh, Verse 7, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. What what does Jonah say? Uh, Symbolically, Jonah is as far away from God as he can get. Now, we know that God is omnipresent and God is everywhere. But other times, in other places in Scripture, he he reigns specifically from heaven. So symbolically, Jonah, he goes down to Joppa, right? Down to Joppa to the sea. Then, when he's on the boat, it says he goes down into the heart of the boat. And it tells us he's trying to 
run away from God. And then he, he um, is thrown overboard. And then he really goes down. He's in Sheol. He's in the grave. Symbolically, death as far away from the presence of God as you can get. And what does he do? Oh God, I look to your temple and I cry out and I say, save me. It's a confession of faith. It's what we need to believe when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. We look to Him who has conquered sin and death and we say, save me. And we say, salvation is in the Lord alone. You're the only one who can do it. I am dead in my sins and I can't make myself alive. But Jesus Christ can. Because Jesus Christ Himself rose again from the dead. Jesus' death and resurrection is the sign of Jonah. He fulfills it by dying on the third day and rising again from the dead. Matthew chapter 17, verse 22 and 23. And when they gathered in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. After Jesus' resurrection in Luke uh, 24, Jesus says, it says, He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise again from the dead. Jonah cries out in trust to God. And he learns to trust God for his deliverance. And God brings him back to life, as it were. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, entrusted Himself to the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as we talked about it on Friday night, remember what Jesus prayed? Take this cup from me, if it's possible. But then what? Not my will, but Your will. He trusts the Father Hebrews 5, 7 says this, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who is able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Jesus Christ understood He would rise again from the dead. And He entrusts Himself to the Father. He prays to the Father. He delights in the Father. Does God stop Jesus from dying? No. But God raises Him from the dead. The the Son trusts the Father. Jesus is the fulfillment of this pattern in Jonah. And in fact, we could obviously say Jesus is the better Jonah. Because two chapters later in Jonah, Jonah is grumbling again. Jesus never in His life grumbles. He trusts God. And God the Father raised the Son from the dead because death was not able to hold Him. It's a testimony to us that Jesus is the Son of God just as He proclaimed Himself to be. It's a testimony from God the Father that the Father loved the Son. The Father was glorified by what the Son did. In His resurrection, He says in effect, Well done, My good and faithful servant. This is My Son in whom I am well pleased. 
Come, rise up in new life. Be the King, the Son of David, now crowned in resurrection glory. To say Jesus has risen matters. It testifies to you. It testifies to me that Jesus is the King. That Jesus is the Lord. That God did not look at Jesus and say, whoops, He died. Now what am I going to do? But God fulfills His Word and saves a people through the dying and the rising of the sun. Jonah deserved to be in the whale. Jonah was really dumb, like some of us, like myself. He was a sinner. Jesus Christ didn't deserve to be in the grave. And more than anyone else, he deserves resurrection. But the wonder of the work of Christ is if I put my faith and trust in him, the death he died counts for me. My sin is paid for just as surely as Jesus is done being dead. My sin is washed away. I also get the life that he gets. Spiritually, right now, I get new life in Christ. I am alive in Jesus, the scriptures say. But his resurrection will be my resurrection. I am, I am tethered to him. Just like, you know, you have those paddle balls where the paddle and the ball is tethered to the paddle and you can't separate them and you whack them back and forth. I am so tethered to Christ that his resurrection will be one day my resurrection. Because Jesus Christ died for me. He paid for my sins and he accomplished new life. And he fulfills the scripture as the sign of Jonah. And how often do we, like the Pharisees, bring our challenges before God? Give me something that I can trust in, O God. He's done that. God the Father raised Christ from the dead. We often miss that this is uh, in key places all over the Old Testament. Psalm 22, we know it because Jesus prays it on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the first half of that psalm, you can see all the things that Jesus fulfilled on the cross. But the psalm ends with the Messiah singing the praises of God in the congregation of the people. It ends with the triumph of God in life. Isaiah 53, we know it well as the, the suffering servant psalm. And we often preach it and we talk about the cross, but we miss the few lines at the end where it says, and, and the, he shall see him, God shall see the Son and be satisfied. And he shall allot him a portion with the living or with the rich. Why does Jesus dying on the cross and, and uh, rising again from the dead so crucial? Because this is how God in Christ wins and establishes the kingdom. Jesus is the king. And you can't be a king and dead at the same time. And coming back to life is the fulfillment of Scripture. Third, this morning, Jesus' resurrection is proof of the judgment and the coming new heavens and new earth. The resurrection is a sign to all of us. We need to ask ourselves, are we trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done? Or are we going to be like the generation that Jesus rebukes, a a wicked and evil generation, not trusting in the word of God? 
This reminds me a little bit, too, of the parable that Jesus tells of the rich man and Lazarus. And you know when they both die. Uh, Lazarus goes to the bosom of Abraham. I think it's a picture of heaven. Um, the rich man, uh, who was wicked, goes uh, to, to the grave, to Sheol. But it's also a picture of hell in that passage. And the rich man asks Abraham, send Lazarus just to give me a drip of water. Abraham, of course, can't do it. And so then the rich man says, just send Lazarus back from the dead. I have five brothers. Let him go back and warn them. And Abraham in that parable says, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't even believe if a man rises from the dead. If you don't and can't believe the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, you wouldn't even believe if He was standing in front of you. You would come up with some excuse. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. I do it in my own life. I put all sorts of excuses up when the truth is staring me right in the face. We live in a culture where we are often, I think now, almost taught that if I don't like the truth, I can reject it. I can call it fake news or whatever I want because I don't have to deal with the truth. Don't be that way with the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection is a sign to you and I. Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching before pagans who thought the resurrection was goofy. And he says this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but He now commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And this He has given assurance. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him, Jesus, from the dead. The resurrection assures you that Jesus Christ will return. The resurrection assures you that you will be judged. And you will either be judged and condemned for your sins, or you will be judged and you will have Jesus standing as your intercessor, pleading your case, saying, this one is forgiven. I died for him. I rose again for him. He has put his faith and trust in me. The resurrection is a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. How do I know there's an afterlife? How do I know that God will do all the things that He promised to do? That there will be a new heavens and the new earth? That even now, you know, we, we have people, we know people, we ourselves have experienced death. How do I know that God will win? That He will overturn death? That there will be a new heavens and a new earth? I know it. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Think about that. He is the foretaste of everything that is to come. Can I really believe that death, which is so painful, such a horrible sting, can I really believe it will be wiped away? Yeah. Look at Christ. Can I really believe there will be a new heavens and a new earth? Well, I will never have any more tears, any more pain. Yes. Look at Christ. He's risen From the dead. He is the sign. And He is the sign of Jonah. Do not miss it. Even Jesus warns the generation. 
He says to them in verses 41 and 42 of Matthew 12, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment and this generation and condemn it. And she will... Uh, She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. And you can almost imagine this just burning in the Pharisees. Like, Like Jesus is telling them, 